This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Chernobyl miniseries. Episode 5. Chasing Bandos podcast would like to introduce you to this bonus content. When I interviewed urban explorers, I discovered that many of us share this unique experience of going to abandoned city of Pripyat. And I decided to interview people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, with one connection. Chernobyl. On the previous episode, we had Oleg Shalashov, who was a former stalker, he was a former tour guide. We talked a little bit about history. We talked about the differences between the TV show and the reality. Oleg shared some interesting facts. And on today's episode, I'm sitting with an Italian explorer, Sat, who absolutely blew me away with his trip to Chernobyl. I don't want to spoil it. I want you to discover this with me on this interview. So let's roll straight away to this interview. Sat, Simone, Simone. Simone, Simone, it's my, the, the name my mother gave me. <laughs> but you prefer to be called Sat. Yeah, yeah. People have been calling me that since I was 15, 16. Everybody mm. called me that. So I'm having trouble with my real name nowadays. I don't recognize it anymore. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. And you are the uh, Forgotten Wonders on, on Instagram. Yeah. When did you go to Chernobyl? I went this year in uh, late July. I think it was the last week of July. And the zone had been closed for a while. Tourism in general, flights, even the the Ukrainian national airline was canceling flights. So I had to reschedule my flight with another company. Everything was closed for a while. And I think they reopened just a few days before we, we got in, uh, which was a scre- extremely lucky because we had been planning that since December 2019. And we had to postpone countless time because of lockdowns, because of travel restrictions. But on the other hand, uh, that had some positive sides because we were one of the first people to get in after the lockdown. So there wasn't much traffic. There wasn't a lot of tourism going on. And also our guides told us that it was strange because as you know, since the HBO series aired, there's a lot of traffic in the zone. If you go to the checkpoint, you have maybe five, six, seven buses or vans waiting in line. And we were the only ones. So that was really nice to be you know sort of alone in the zone uh, so we went in late july it was very hot to my surprise and we were there with a i wouldn't call them tour operators uh, these are guys that have been working in the zone as dosimetrists they've been working with the radiation they've been working also with the the power plant personnel so they've been collaborating with them and they also uh, work uh, worked as advisors for the people from hbo who did their preliminary service on the zone and uh, so they were advisors to them to make the series realistic and faithful to the to the real history so I'm really glad we went with them because, you know, they are authorized operators. So they know what they're doing. They know which uh, areas are, are off limits. They know which areas are okay to visit for how much time. But they also are a bit adventurous. You know, they have a lot of skills. They know where to take you. 
but also in a safe way, which I think in that place, which is not a playground, it's, it's very important. So this is one of the things that you already kind of answered some of my questions here. I was really intrigued by looking at your Instagram pages and looking at your pictures from Chernobyl. I was intrigued by pictures from like the control room for the, the you know, just the control room. And then you were in a reactor. You made this video yeah. about being like inside the reactor. And this is very rare pictures that I've see, I'm seeing here. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but like it, maybe it, this is something that I, for some reason I missed, but just the reactor. Like, so what sort of tour of operators are they, they, they like take you to those places. I, I was under the impression that you cannot go to those places. Well, actually for many years, uh, those places were almost off limits. So I saw early videos, even in maybe 2012, 14, and these were very, very amateurish videos made uh, by scientists maybe international researchers who went to the power plant as scientific collaborators and they were allowed a tour in like the full hazmat suit just a few minutes take some pictures load the thing and go away i think it was uh, actually in 2020 when they decided to open control room 4 which for anyone who might not know is the control room of the reactor that exploded in, in 1986. So that's the room that you also see on the TV series. That's the room you see on the documentaries where everything happened. All the decisions were taken. That's the actual room. That's the one that you went to? Yeah, we went to number to number three, which is the control room of the reactor that was in the same building as reactor four. And number three is perfect is in pristine conditions because reactor number three was shut down in 2000. So that kept operating until 20 years ago. And number four is, it used to look exactly the same, but of course it's all rusty, it's all rotten, everything, all the electronics have been Beautiful. stripped out, but the structure is still there. So we could see the, the pristine room before, which was number three, and then immediately after number three, we went straight to number four. So the difference was so amazing and it was for somebody who doesn't know, who is not an expert on nuclear engineering or on nuclear energy, to be able to compare the two things in just a span of 10 minutes was really was really amazing. I, I'm finding hard to put it into words because I've been passionate about that story for years, even before I knew about urbex, even before I knew about uh, the possibility of doing tours. So for me being there was really, really touching. Uh, when we entered control room number four, I I couldn't speak. I I had no words. I just mm. uh, there's a video of me going in and uh, the engineer who was guiding us. She tells so this is control room number four, and to to her it's almost normal because she does this every day. But to me, I just said, oh my god, and then I stopped speaking. I just roamed around the room. I watched it. We didn't have much time, of course, because it's still radioactive to this day you just you are like 20 meters away from the reactor at this point and for me it was so so moving so touching and i didn't want to be that guy who does the flashy things in there uh, because i wanted to be super respectful of, uh, of the place where i was but at the same time i couldn't help feeling very moved very emotional about the place i was in and the fact that we just saw uh, just a few minutes before a perfect control room so how control room number four used to look before was even was even better for me. I always try to, even when I go exploring, to to compare how the place is now and how it used to be when it was active or operational. And while we were there, we could do that in person with our very own eyes. And 
the emotional, the historical meaning that that place has. To look at the exact place where the famous AZ-5 emergency battle was located, to look at the control panels and to think that that's where the such a huge part of human history happened, to me is mind-blowing. You know, reading history is one thing, being able to physically touch it and live it, it's, it's a whole nother planet for me. Sat, when you are talking about this right now, I'm on my laptop, I'm looking at the picture that you posted with exactly what you said. There is a control room for control yeah. room five. And what you did is, is bloody amazing because you cut the picture. This is a vertical picture that you cut it diagonally. And on one side, you're showing yeah. the pristine looking control room. And at the bottom, you're looking, uh, we're looking at this like decayed control room. Like this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. What you were saying about how you felt all that history and now at the same time looking at this picture, I'm literally, I was having shivers on my hands. I was like, you know, I'm wearing, it's a little bit cold here. Yeah, I'm wearing a t-shirt. I'm not wearing socks. Maybe that's the reason. <laughs> Honestly, I I totally understand that passion because I when if I was there, I would be absolutely shitting myself. And you know what? When I saw your Instagram and I saw, because we're gonna go and, and and talk about the reactor as well in a moment. But when I saw those pictures and now hear you saying it, you see, I always felt I, I can't finish my sentence because I'm so so emotional right now. But <laughs> I always wanted to go back to Chernobyl in the winter to take those winter shots. But now seeing this, just the possibility of me going to that control room, this is now, the decision has been already made. <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate to that. During the time that you were talking to me right now and seeing those pictures and the possibility of going there, I will definitely be asking you after this for the contact to those people because I was under impression that this is not, not possible. This is blowing my mind right now. And everyone should go to the Forgotten Wonders Instagram page. Scroll down a little bit to when you find when you find the the Chernobyl pictures. And my God, this is just beautiful. I uh, first of all, I'm I'm impressed. I really thank you for for saying what you said because I was hoping to convey this this feeling when I did when I made that picture and also believe it or not it was not intentional I just happened happened to take the same picture in both rooms and when I was mm. at home reviewing my pictures I found those and I said okay I can make like you know a post with multiple pictures both from the good room and from the decayed room but to having that in the same single image, I mm. think it's more impactful. I think it makes you, even oh. if you're not uh, passionate about the subject, even if you not don't know much about it, seeing that, I think it re it already conveys you, it, it already sends you a precise message of uh, of what happened there, of uh, of the damage that that that's been done and maybe also of the of the human aspect of it because this is not just machinery that's broken down the this this is so many people who were involved both in the power plant about civilians citizens janitors everyone who was around there which was incredibly tremendously affected by this so i really appreciate 
you saying what you said because it means that I, uh, it worked <laughs> and I, yeah. as I said I'm passionate about that so if I if I can send that message to someone else to to people who haven't been there to people who don't know much about it then I'm happy because I think it it deserves the attention not for me because I think the place I think the history I think those people deserve deserve it deserve, they deserve the attention they deserve the compassion and our and our sympathy everyone's sympathy honestly this picture is like one of the best pictures I've seen. On top of everything, there is this emotional connection. All of us who went to Chernobyl and been there will understand what I'm just saying. What we know about the disaster, all the documentaries, all the movies, everything we read, and the fact that we love Urbex and the fact that we've been there, this sort of feeling that you have for this place is really hard to describe with words, but it just fills you with this, just a sheer passion, evokes such emotion. This picture is truly, truly amazing. One other thing about the the control room, you said that you saw that button they, they pressed. Were you able to put your finger on that button? Uh, well, not really, because in the control room number three, it's still there, but it has a like a protective case on top of it. So back in the days, if they needed to press it, there was still this metal guard on top of the button because so they wouldn't accidentally do it. And it was fixed with a, a piece of rope. So there's actually footage from when they shut down uh, reactor 3 permanently and I'll be including that in a Chernobyl video that I'm about to to release so you you actually see the engineer undoing the rope around the button lifting the metal guard and then pressing the button actually at that time it was no longer a push button it was one of those switches that you have to rotate because they changed that after the accident. I don't know why, maybe it was new regulation, but they actually changed it. It was still there. We we, touch, we could touch it, like from top of the guard. We didn't open the thing, but it was there. We touched it. We take, took pictures of it. And when we went to control room number four, we saw the same control panel. It was all empty. So you see the hole where the, where the button was. And the engineer pointed it out. This is where AZ-5 was located. This is what they pressed. This is what should have stopped uh, the disaster. It was right here. And she pointed at it. You can see actually in my, also in the Instagram video, it's there. Uh, it's no longer there physically, but you are in that place. You see the, the square hole where that button was. So that and everything else around it really makes you feel involved. It feels like you really feel, of course, not like they did back then. And I'm, I will never argue that. I cannot put myself in the, in in their shoes of the, of the people who were there on that night but it helps you realize uh, how hard it must have been how confusing because you are in this in this room which has no windows it just walls and equipment you don't see the reactor you don't see anything outside it's it's like a big closet you don't see anything so you are closed inside this room just walls you press a button everything just shook you heard an explosion you don't know what's going on now we know of course it was the worst nuclear accident of all times but back then i i think about the people who were there on the night and they were like 22 23 years old if you exclude uh Diatlov, which, which was the the chief engineer the the shift chief on uh, on that night so i cannot imagine these very young people and what they must have felt but being there seeing where the button was being inside the room it helps you realize how hard it must have been how heartbreaking it must have been so 
really I cannot stress this enough if uh, if you have a chance if people have a chance to go I recommend doing so because again one thing is reading a book watching a TV series but when you're actually there and you see what's also what's surrounding the area and you're inside then you really really start to realize the magnitude of, uh, of what happened right now I just really envy you I just can't, I just I'm so <laughs> I, I'm just I'm lost. I'm lost for words because like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm looking at you, but I'm keep looking back at my laptop at this, at this control room. And I just like thinking to myself, when can I go? <laughs> when can I go? Like, can you guys open the bloody borders? Can I finally leave and, and go there? <laughs> Tell me about the reactor room. So just the fact that you have been in the in this in this room it just again blows my mind i am just absolutely mesmerized here like, okay tell me how did you get in there i was i was mesmerized too i i, I mean the whole trip was uh, like being in a in a weird dream because i fantasized about it for years and so everything every corner i turn you know this better than me you've been everywhere but some places when you go explore they might be a bit underwhelming at times. Or maybe one room is great, and then you find nothing throughout the rest of the building. It happens, it's part of the of the game. But over there, every step I took, everywhere I looked, was something so mind-blowing. So we basically took a small Soviet elevator to this, uh, to the high story, high stories of the building, the high floors of the building. Like one of those old manual elevators where you can only go in three people at a time. So it was 10 of us. So it took like four trips to get uh, all of us up there. There's this narrow, narrow corridor, this narrow hallway where you also have to, to crouch a bit because you bang your head on the pipes otherwise. Huge iron steel door, big red door, one of those doors that close during an emergency because they are anti-fire, anti-radiation, I suppose. We get through there, very narrow passage, a few steps, a very anonymous corridor actually. And nothing was there, very narrow, one person at a time through this small corridor. And then all of a sudden you turn your head and you are inside the reactor building. So it really appears almost from out of nowhere. And if you've seen the picture, if you've seen the videos, it's so huge. It's mm. hard to put into words how enormous that place is. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. It's amazing. And so you see this giant room, which is reactor number three, which I repeat was used up until December 2000 and it's separated from reactor 4 by a wall that's it same building just they, there used to be no wall before the accident they used to be like sort of in the same room more or less mm. and now it's separated because of you know safety reasons but it's in the same place and this is the wait mm, wait wait wait, one wait, of wait. The same. sorry wait, wait what you're saying is that this reactor is just like adjacent to the one that exploded it's next to the one that exploded if you see the pictures from the even the historical picture from you have to go well before they put on the new sarcophagus on top of the plant which yeah. if anyone has seen that it's those that big deal structure that arch structure they just put on they put it on half of the building the other half is reactor number oh, really? three they shared the building yeah because they were they were built in pairs if you go far uh, on the far side uh, on the left from those buildings it's the build it's the uh, an identical building where the actual reactors number one and two so that's uh, another that that was the first building that was made two reactors sharing a building then they added three and four 
which are separated from one and two by, you know, a long corridor, that safety distance and whatever. But the building with the exploded reactor number four and the same reactor number three is the same building where the, you know, the, the famous chimney that they used to be on top of the roof, the chimney, the red and white chimney, that which was a ventilation duct, that's on top of the building, of the destroyed building. But the other half of the building is reactor number three. So it's right there. We were meters away. We could not see it, of course, because it's super radioactive in there. And even uh, in reactor three and in control room number four, we could only we could only be there for like three, four minutes. Then we had to rush out because, yeah, it's safe to go with the proper protections and for a very limited amount of time. It's still radioactive to, the day, to this day. People don't usually go there for work or inside the plant. Only, you know, the people who are dismantling reactor number four are allowed to enter building number four. And But nowadays, the arch has um, a lot of equipment that you can uh, operate remotely. So they are in the process of dismantling what's left of reactor number four. But we were right next to it because, as I said, reactor number three, which is the one we were working on top of, it used to share the same building of reactor number four. It's right there. Yeah, we were we were touching history. We were right there. Sad, like, mate, mate, listen, like, listen, I love you. Like, you're blowing my mind. You're blowing my mind here. Honestly, like, I did not know this. One, I did not know that, that the reactor, the other reactor was just next door. I was always under the impression that the whole, the sarcophagus covers the whole building. I knew the explosion happened, the destroyed part of the building, but I thought that they protected the whole bloody building because it is, this is the same building. It is the same. It blows my mind that this is, no, the, the, the the whole building is not covered. No wonder that you can only no. be there for, 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 three minutes with a pro proper protection so they, <laughs> oh, can you can you describe that little that process a little bit like what what's the, what that involves with like the what yeah, sort sure. of like suit that you do yeah go on the main concern they have is not as much the radiation itself because you're only there for a few minutes uh, the main concern they have is dust because dust carries particles and particles are bad they are very bad if you ingest if you inhale if they go through your skin, it's it's bad because they carry radiation. They carry maybe also bits of physical material that's that's irradiated. So they give you two layers of clothes. You strip completely of your clothes. You just are in your underwear basically, and they give you their own clothes. So you have a first layer of uh, like uh, if you just imagine, you know, the people you saw in the TV series that they had these white clothes, like the white lab coats, the white scrubs, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, so you have an, a layer underneath, which is in a lighter material, and then you, on top of both pants and shirt. And then on top of those, you are given the, uh, the lab coat, the lab trousers, the pants. So you have two layers of clothes, and they are mm, they are not super thick, but they are thick enough. Uh, you are given gloves and boots. Everything is provided by the facility. You have a sort of uh, like white bandana to put on, uh, on your hair. And on top of that, you have a hard hat, like the helmet you wear uh, if you are a construction worker, you know, those plastic mm -hmm. hard hats. So all of that. Plus, we were given three different dosimeters. And these are not the, the Geiger counters with the screen that those who beep. You, you see in every video people going inside Chernobyl with yeah, these yeah. yellow counters and they are beeping all the time. Not those. These are dosimeters. They are like mm, metal plates. They are like two, three centimeters wide. You wear it around your neck and you keep it on the whole time you're inside the plant. 
when we went away, we gave those back. They analyzed them in the laboratory. And some days after, they sent us a certificate for each and every one of us, a certificate stating exactly how much radiation we had absorbed during our whole stay inside the plant, which for anyone who's curious was 0.03 millisieverts. And to compare, the the first threshold the first radiation dose that starts to be dangerous for you is a hundred millisieverts so we got 0.003 of those which it's slightly more to quote the tv series than a chest x-ray it's slightly more than that i was actually not concerned about the radiation because i i studied the whole thing for a long time i knew about the the fact that you just stay there for a few minutes i knew the fact that they give you protection um, protective clothing so i was not too concerned about the radiation because i know that yeah you receive a dose of radiation but it's not risky unless you don't respect the rules and you go in there and start start touching where you shouldn't touch and you maybe take something to bring home with you which is absolutely forbidden but people have done it unless you do those things you're fine we even ate lunch in the power plants cafeteria so yeah it's totally mm. safe as long as you as you comply and what did you eat so yeah we had a whole oh wow man i, I just to let you know, we were touring the place. It was July. It was super hot. I expected it to be a bit less because in Italy, we're used to having super hot summer. It was just as hot. So we were in these two layers of clothing, long sleeves, long trousers, hat, bandana, gloves, boots. We were touring the whole plant. We were thirsty by the time it was lunchtime. We were really were dehydrated and we couldn't wait to just go in the canteen and drink some water. And so they present us with two glasses. One had yellow liquid in it and one had red liquid in it. (laughs) And they told us it was one, I think, was some kind of apple juice or stuff like that. And Mm. the other was compote. I have no Ah. idea what compote is. I never I saw it before, but I know that in, in the Ukraine, in Eastern Europe, it's it's a big thing. But we yeah. we were just so thirsty, we wanted water, and they had no water at all. They only had these two yellow and red liquids, which were fine, but they were also very sweet. So yes. we still were thirsty after that. So we drank those things, and we ate like a, a chicken breast too with some rice, some porridge. They gave us a pancake, uh, which I expected mm. to have like, you know, jam, or chocolate but it had sour cream and this is another thing i learned while in the ukraine sour cream goes with everything you can eat <laughs> the pancake with the sour cream you can eat the uh the dumplings uh i, don't, I forgot how they call them in, in the ukraine i'm so sorry i forgot the name because they have so much different names so many different pierogi, names baby. in the world the pierogi you have pierogi in poland you have ravioli in italy you have dumplings yeah. in asia and in russia they those things basically so yeah. sour cream was with everything but actually you know we were eating in the chernobyl canteen so amazing cares? they could have given me a piece of cardboard to eat it, 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 it's fine <laughs> i don't care i'm just here i'm happy <laughs> oh man so yeah that's uh that was the whole the whole deal with the protection gear and so yeah like i said in the reactor we were allowed like three four minutes stops but we actually walked on top of the reactor lid so once again you see this huge building and you imagine that the whole lid in reactor number four just blasted off went high enough in the sky to 
pierce through the ceiling and still go a bit more. I don't, I don't remember exactly how high it went. And then came back down sideways on top of the reactor. When you actually see it and you know that each, of, each one of the blocks you are walking on top is 40 kilograms each. Once again, you really start to realize how powerful the blast must have been to mm. lift the whole thing, soar up high in the sky, break everything, smash the ceiling, come back down, mm. expose the core of the reactor. And th the building is huge. So yeah, mm. just like in yeah. control room number four, when you're there, you really realize how deadly, how powerful that uh, the plus must have been. And again, when you're there and you see that even the, there's a monument to the to the only guy they they couldn't find on that night. So this poor guy was operating the, the water circulation pumps in reactor number four. So when everything exploded, he, he was right there. So it, it basically collapsed on top of him. It's the only guy they never managed to find. And to this day on the wall that separates uh, building three from uh, reactor three from reactor four which they constructed after the accident to this day there's a monument to this uh, to this man who was working there there are always flowers put in there his family goes there to pay respect to him because they they never recovered the body so this poor family never could properly mourn the loss of their, of their father of their husband of their uncle you know, so they go yeah. there and they felt it was right to, to dedicate the, the place to him. Uh, so between that and actually being on top of this reactor, once again, you are amazed by it, by it but you're also very moved by, by the mm. whole thing. It's, it, it's an emotional trip. It's an emotional trip, not tourism, you know. It's not going to see the, I don't know, the, the Colosseum, the Eiffel Tower. You're not going for fun. Yeah, it's, mm. it's cool to see. By all means, it's cool to see because you're, you're inside a power plant, a nuclear power plant. But it's also very moving. It's very touching. And I think that if you go there and you don't come out with a different view or maybe just, you know, you don't even start thinking, start reflecting about the thing, then maybe it, it didn't really work for, work out for you. It's, uh, yeah, I, I try to describe it. But, you know, when you are actually there, you really... You are hit with physical, physical emotion, physical feelings for what you're experiencing. I really, I really hope I'm doing it justice by talking about it, and it's uh, it's so cool for me to be able to talk about it. But yeah, even, it, even the shoe is yeah. Even if you if 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 this has this effect on you, and you've been not only there but you've been everywhere, you're seeing you've seen so many places, and if. If this thing has this sort of effect even on you, you know, everyone listening should really should really consider the fact of uh, of going there. If you are somebody who's passionate about this or wants to find out more, I, I really, really recommend it. It's safe if you do it the right way and it really enriches you as a person. Mm, absolutely. I, and the shivers are coming back. Like it just, they just came back just, just right now. I don't know what to say. Like I just, uh, the, like just general feeling I have is this, I feel like such a joy for you to experience this because I can imagine what sort of experience this was for you. I was blown away. I never went to those places. It just fills me with such a joy for you that you managed to experience this. And also I'm so envy as well. I just like a uh, super envy right now. Super well, jealous. Th again, 
I really thank you. And it was one of the few good things that happened in 2020. We, as I said, we mm. postponed this trip so many times. We were supposed to go in March. We were supposed to go in May. And we managed to go in July, you know, and we just managed to. It, it was not guaranteed that we could go in July. It was just something that happened a few days before. So, yeah, I'm really, really happy that we managed to do that. And as you mentioned, the, the TV series, if I can just mention this for a bit. Uh, I know that uh, some people have been critical about the TV series for not being like 100% faithful to the true history of what happened on those days. Uh, on one hand, I, I get that, especially if you're somebody from the area who was personally affected by that. I also get that, you know, it, as you can you can be as faithful to the original history as you as you want, but at the same time you're still doing TV, and it's a bigger picture. Yeah, I think they struck a a balance between being historically accurate accurate and being uh, good for TV because I've also watched the original videos that were made uh, during the days of the accident there is if you go on youtube there's the guy who actually filmed those videos well went with the cameraman and he was like directing workers uh, he was he was involved in the in the liquidation process the days of the accident on youtube there, there's footage of him watching these videos and commenting them it, it, it's in ukrainian of course so luckily they have subtitles but these are actual videos made with a with with an handheld camera the days the immediate days after the accident i recognized some of those videos in the hbo tv series like the exact same angles the same way of shooting them of course these are not good for television rhythm for television uh, for a tv show pace for the flow but they decided to keep them like they were shot originally so for example the whole sequence where you see the liquidators going on uh, on the roof of building number four and shoving down debris with handheld shovels that lasted they decided to to make that sequence last like the whole minute which for tv purpose it's not the best thing but they there are interviews to the to the producer who said we wanted to that scene to feel as real as we could so these guys were up there for a, a full minute shoving down stuff from the roof so we made the scene a full clockwork minute because we wanted to convey that experience to convey the the distress they were in and i recognized some angles some shootings they made for the tv series i recognized them because i saw them in the original videos made in 1986 so yeah i get they they were not fully 100 percent accurate because you know it's also hard to do for some for an event with that was of that magnitude but i think they did it justice so again seeing the original video seeing how they were portrayed in the tv series and then finally being there myself this this chain of events really struck hard to to my core it uh, really made me reevaluate a lot of things it's it was really 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 amazing i'm just thinking about the, the like you said the like criticism of the of the tv show but uh, you know like a tv is is different you know like uh, sometimes people say the thing i know alex from episode eight he's he made he made a really good yeah. point 
point about like that sometimes people compare like books to the to the TV shows and they say like oh obviously when you read the book it's like the the, the TV it's never it serves the justice that the book was better blah 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 but it's always kind of like a, you always have to compromise it's a different medium yeah. a TV or, or movies almost feel like you know there's a bigger picture here you know, like a, with a TV you have TV show you have to like sh- show some sort of uh, story you know there needs to be an emotional angle like there's there's certain rules with, with things I loved it I loved it I know that uh, some yeah. of the people on on this podcast were a little bit critical and you can guys listen to the obviously previous previous episodes <laughs> with Vlad and Oleg uh, yeah, and I yeah I heard but yeah but by all means it's not I'm not uh, criticizing those who didn't like the show I know I just yeah. this is just my opinion mm. on the whole thing being yeah. someone not from that area but that has yeah studied what happened i think if you think about a broader audience so you have to understand there are people who are 15 years old now 20 years old and they were born after the the year 2000 they have no idea what happened there they have no connection Mm -hmm. to the thing so for them to be able to see such a tv show it's useful it's useful to to keep this memory alive for everyone, maybe it's uh, it was you know sort of uh, a therapeutic maybe for some people from the area or that were affected by this thing because now it's been revealed not revealed but it's being exposed again to a larger audience. So if this brings more sympathy, more um, more help to the people from the area, from the people who were affected, then by all means, I think they did a good job when they were not historically accurate for TV purposes. They said it, they wrote it like at the end of the episode, they will write, this character doesn't really exist. We just used him as a, to represent the whole scientific community. You know, they let Mm. you know if they were not uh, following the the natural flow of uh, of the history. So I, I think it was a good overall. One of the other things that I saw uh, on your on your Instagram it was this: <laughs> you had this like a uh, a video where you highlighted there was a tree, there was this build, there was some building. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that you show like how the things used to look like and then how they look yeah. right now. And there was the tree that used to be there back in the day when everything was operational, and then. You were showing this tree now after the disaster and what it, what it is now. That was pretty cool as well. Yeah, I like that because it was it was, it was a small anecdotal history by the by Misha, which is the girl you saw in the video. She was one of the guides that brought us in the, in the zone, and she is very much emotionally attached to the whole thing. So even you saw her, she will like randomly approach you and tell you, "Hey." Do you see that tree? It's It's been growing here for a long time. It was here before the disaster happened. And she was very emotional about those mm. things. And all those little things, I think, help you connect with the place. And showing how it was before compared to now. Even if you're not an Urbex fan, even if you're not passionate about abandoned stuff in general, it helps you understand maybe why we are passionate about them. And it helps you connect with the place. So she showed me the huge enormous tree which nowadays is like i'm not saying as tall as the building but almost and then i found a, an old historical picture when Pritiat was still uh, an alive city and you see this tiny tiny little green tree not even a tree by then it was just some grass it, it, it was 
so small and it's still there and it's being it kept growing it swallowed part of the building it swallowed part of the square and i i thought it was a nice touch you know because you see how how the how nature how quickly nature repossesses those areas as as soon as the humans go away if you see picture of people who went to Pripyat 10 years ago and you compare them with picture from today it they look totally different nowadays if you go in the summer where the vegetation is still up when you're walking at ground level you don't even realize you're walking through a former square or a format street or you don't even see the building that that's next to you because there's, there's so much vegetation that's grown then you maybe you see a picture from above and you recognize the shape of the city but you just see really how quickly nature takes control back of, of the place and this happened not only in Pripyat but in the whole forest the whole uh, zone around the, the power plant uh, I heard the uh, the first episode you released from this uh, mini series uh, you were talking about the the Chernobyl documentary and I heard that you know the, the girl you were interviewing she said the, the same thing that because humans went away uh, nature took control of the place so Ironically, it's one of the biggest natural resources of the world. Scientists have been studying uh, animal behavior, they've been studying nature, they've been studying genetic alteration in that area. And this, ironically, is a very positive side that emerged yes. from such a bad and negative occurrence in the past. And there's nowhere else in the world when you can you can run those experiments, you can run those tests, and there's nowhere else in the world where you have so much data that you can compare from 30 years ago up until now. Because yeah, you can say that maybe around Fukushima nowadays it's similar, but it's been how much? Five years? eight years. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact year when Fukushima happened. This was 1986. So you have so many years of, uh, of data that you can compare. And ultimately, this means re research is going forward and we are getting new material, we are getting new discoveries, which wouldn't have been possible otherwise. So I've also seen that people from the area are quite proud of this because, you know, this is something that Ukraine did almost on, uh, on their own. Uh, you know, when the, the Soviet Union collapsed, they didn't have the, the Soviet fundings anymore. They didn't have the Soviet personnel anymore. And they stood back up on their own two feet. They are extremely proud of what uh, of what they accomplished. And I think they, uh, they have a right to be. If they are proud, I think they have a right to be proud. I, I don't think they are uh, discounting or disrespecting what happened there at all. They're just saying, well, guys, we received this huge blow and we are back up and we also made something positive out of it. So I think that was a quite a positive side from the whole thing. I truly think that like by the time this this interview is out, people already heard uh, four episodes. And if you're not surprised about the radiation and how safe it is, then I don't know what else can convince you because even John, the radiation expert on, on episode three and then all the, all the people involving with, with Chernobyl, like the, the nature somehow manages to always kind of win and takes over. And it's, it's, it's really remarkable. And, and what we understand about radiation, it's, uh, it's different to, uh, to all those like pop culture movies and all those kind of little fears that, that we have. It's really, really different. And yeah, I, I would also recommend anyone, you guys have heard this on the podcast, you know, people say that you have to go there within 10 
15 years because otherwise those buildings, they will, they will collapse. And at the same time, I am a little bit wary of making this place another Disney World. But, you know, I think that's a very rightful uh, way of thinking. And I myself was a bit bummed out when I found out that because of the TV series, tourists uh, boomed in the area and they also had to issue new regulations because of that. So no longer going into the buildings, new regulation about uh, how many people are allowed in, protection and all of that stuff because some tourists went there like it was a playground. So they went there to have their, you know, semi-naked photo shoot in front of the famous Ferris wheel. And I'm not knocking photo shoots, you know. I'm not the kind of person, I'm not saying that. But you're not in a playground. It's uh, it's still a very dangerous place if you don't know what you're doing. I've heard of people sleeping inside the area, like having sleepovers in, in some of the buildings, in some of, or even putting their bags on the ground and sleeping in there. Because maybe, you know, somebody showed them a small yellow Geiger counter that said that in that area radiation was low. Oh, that's okay. It's safe. We can stay here. We can be here. No problem. Uh, well, not really. You have to consider so many different factors. It's not that easy. I share the the fear of making this place a, a sort of a Disney World, like you said. But at the same time, I really, I really wish that people who are passionate and are really interested about it have a chance to go. So like you said, it's already been so many years. Uh, the place is not gonna stand up, stand solid, and be uh, preserved forever. Uh, these buildings are are old. They are irradiated. They have water running through them. They will collapse one day. If you're passionate about this, if you're interested about this, take a chance. Go. You can go to the beach next year. It's not guaranteed that you can go to this place next year. So yeah, just. Do it. When you get a chance, do it. Do it right. Do it for the right reason. But I, I really, really recommend doing it. Yeah. I sometimes say on the podcast, like, this was fascinating. This was amazing. And it, it always is. It always is. But there is just sometimes... I have a guest that just blows my mind and today you managed to do this. What you said about the reactor room, what you said about like the control room truly absolutely blew my mind and I loved every single minute of it and I during this interview made a decision that I will be definitely going back to Chernobyl there's absolutely no way I will not be going just from my own personal selfish point of view you have just convinced me to go back which is absolutely amazing let's talk off air a little bit about uh, the contacts and all that stuff by the way if yeah. someone was about to contact you about like the people that you went with, would you be comfortable sharing this sort of information? Oh yeah, I did it already. Some people messaged me when I originally posted my videos and photos from the place. And I have no issue at all giving out the contacts. I was very happy with how our tour went. I was very happy of how much knowledgeable these people that brought us there were. Yeah, I really could not recommend them enough they've been great so mm. if i can help them having more guests because i know they do this for the right reasons if i can mention that very quickly they also work every year on the memorial events for the disaster and i think uh, last year or two years ago they gathered all the um, a bunch of people they could find that either lived in pripyat 
or our relatives mm. of people who lived in Pripyat and they brought them there and they surprised them with a memorial event which was a, a video they made with your historical pictures and pictures and footage from nowadays they lit candles and light inside the buildings so they brought the people at night with special permits and they lit up the city you know to give them the message that Pripyat is is not dead and the memory of Pripyat is not dead and these people are you know are in their memory are always in the memory mm. and I think they did an amazing job so I know that they are in love with that place I know that they do tours the right way for the right reasons so absolutely if you want their contacts just write a DM to me on Instagram I will gladly let you know and I will even tell them that you maybe will contact them to for a tour because yeah they've been great and I really Really, really recommend them and if I can help them if I can help people who want to go then I'm happy Sad, that was absolutely amazing I'm so happy that you you decided you, you basically I'm so happy that you contacted me and told me that you went you responded to my Instagram story. So uh, this is just amazing surprise and you've been absolutely amazing. So like uh, really, 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 really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Like I said, I, I'm a relatively new guy to the urbex scene and so I really, I appreciate you a lot. I appreciate having you. I appreciate you having me here. And the fact that I was up to the task really, really makes me happy. This made my day a lot better. So thank you. And thanks everyone who's listened to me ramble about Chernobyl. Wow. So that was sad. He had absolutely incredible journey to Chernobyl. This trip that he did, all the experience, I can only envy him. And when I said it on the podcast that during this interview, I made the decision to go back there. I mean it. When the borders are open, when I can travel again, this will be my first trip. Regarding a trip to Chernobyl and experiencing something close to what Sat did, please feel free to contact him on his Instagram forgotten wonders if you would like to check out his new youtube channel you can find him on youtube at forgotten wonders urbex he actually has a video which is called inside chernobyl reactor 4 control room and that video is amazing you should totally totally check it out so this was episode five on the next episode we have a special guest this is a little bit of a throwback to episode one when i interviewed yara lee and she mentioned the persona non grata lucas brunel a cyclist videographer who went to chernobyl and made a video about his trip to chernobyl back in the day actually i managed to interview lucas and he he is coming on the podcast. If you would like to suggest someone for the interview, someone who has some sort of connection with Chernobyl, please feel free to contact me on Instagram or send me an email at gregabandoned at gmail.com. This was Chernobyl mini series on Chasing Bandos podcast. I'm your host, Greg Abandoned, and I'm signing off.